Some of you may be wondering what my first message of 2023 might be. Some of you already know. But after lots of prayer and really asking the Lord, God, what do you want to do in this year to come? What, what would be a great first Sunday, first day of the year message for 2023? And what I felt like the Lord told me, I can't speak for other people, but I, what I felt like he told me for this coming year is that 2023 needs to be a year of repentance, a year of repentance. Now, that's not necessarily the most popular topic. Not everyone understands what repentance really is. We're going to talk about that today, and we're going to take some time to actually repent at the end of this service. So if the Lord begins to speak to you about things, I want you to be ready to deal with that. Charles Spurgeon said that true prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It's far deeper than that. It's a spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. It's a spiritual transaction. It's communing, it's listening, it's talking, it's letting God tell you what he thinks about a situation, a circumstance, or a matter. Repentance is just that. Repentance is changing your mind to think the way he thinks. In any area in your life where you're not thinking straight, which then in turn causes you to act out and not live right or be ruled by your emotions, anything in your life that's not according to God's word and God's design in the way that he thinks, we have to shift and repent to think the way that he thinks. <clears throat> Let me define repentance for you. Repentance does not mean to just change the way that you live. Repentance just doesn't mean to turn away from something that you're doing that he doesn't like or he doesn't approve of. True repentance first starts in your thought life and to change your mind. It's to change the mind and the way that you think. For example, I was thinking one way about a matter. Now I think differently about that matter. To turn away from lies and inaccurate truths and to turn to what is right and true. So I was believing something that wasn't right. I was partaking in something that wasn't right. I was doing something that God didn't want me to do. And in turn, I shifted what I believed about that thing and I started to act and live differently. <clears throat> A good example is turning with uh, contrition or to be contrite with sin. Sin is simply not living according to the excellent design that God put in place, and it's missing the mark of excellence that God has for your life. And many times I don't have a good answer of why God doesn't want me to do something that he calls sin, but he knows better than I do, and I don't have to have every answer and every reason why. If God said it, I believe it, and I'm going to adhere to it because he knows what's best. There may be things that in my life, I wish we're okay, but God says aren't okay. That's why you've got to get the revelation of others may, but I may not. And at the end of the day, what matters is what God tells you about your life, your circumstances, and your situation, which requires you to hear what he's saying. So I think differently about a matter. I now, instead of believing lies and which leads me to have fear and worry and doubt and disbelief or maybe act out with addiction or hidden things in my life, I now have God's heartbeat on it and I can turn back to him and repent and change the way that I think, which in turn will change the way that I live. It's to reconsider what you're doing before God and to allow moral compunction to have its way in your life. Now, I'm gonna teach you this statement that I came up with. It's called moral compunction. Let's everybody say that, moral compunction. And some of you may not know what compunction is, but basically it's a feeling of guilt or moral scruple. Scruple is doubt or hesitation that prevents you from doing something that you know you shouldn't do or follows after the action of doing something immoral that you shouldn't have done. And in turn, it leads you to a proper course of action. It's either not doing it to begin with or repenting when you do, okay? Okay. So for me, I had no moral compunction prior to coming to know the Lord. I really never genuinely thought 
that I was doing something wrong. I may have known it was illegal, but in my heart, I didn't have any fear of consequences or thought, don't do that. My wife can testify to that. And so repentance is at the core foundation of spiritual renewal and transformation. Everything starts and ends with repentance. We start by knowing and confessing our broken state, and we end by knowing and confessing our broken state. And so you never are not in a place where you need to repent. And we all need moral compunction that prevents us from doing something stupid that we know we shouldn't do, or if we do do it, we run back to God, confessing and repenting so that we can think properly according to his design. We have to have that moral compunction. Like, for example, moral compunction is that hesitancy that tells you that's not a good idea. It's that hesitancy that says, that's, I probably shouldn't go there. I probably shouldn't hang out with those friends. I already know where this is going to lead to. I already know if I give in to this thing, it's going to lead to something else. So moral compunction now, which I didn't have before, but I have now. And why do I have it now? I have it now because of what God's done for my life. I have it now because I'm so in love with him. I have it now because he's been so stinking good. I have it now because God rescued me out of my hurt and my pain and my past and my failures. And so now I don't ever want to go back because I have the Holy Spirit that helps to bring this moral compunction that says, don't say that, you don't want to say that. And if I do say it, I'm quick to apologize and I'm quick to repent for it. Repentance is not just changing your mind, but it's also changing the course of action in your life. A changed mind leads to a changed life. I can't make myself change my mind. In fact, there's stuff that has been in my life that I didn't want my mind changed on, let's be honest, because I liked what I was doing. And many times I thought, man, God, why can't you just be okay with this? He's like, trust me, I know better. This is not good for you. It will lead to death and destruction. Don't go there. And so now when I didn't have that, that admonition in my heart, I have it where God's saying, I don't want you to do it. And so now moral compunction and repentance leads to a demonstration of a changed life. So the people that once saw you the way that you were now see you live differently. Wait a minute, you don't want to go hang out tonight and go out clubbing and partying and drinking and smoking and doing all this stuff? Why? We've always done it. It's so much fun. We're going to have a blast. What is, what's the matter with you? You're like super churchy Christian now? Like whatever you want to call me, I know that God doesn't want me to go there anymore because it's never been good for me. So repentance is this understanding that when I change my mind, I change my life. The question today is, what do you need to change your mind about? Now, only God can change your mind. Only God can change your mind. I can't force myself to change my mind. That's behavior modification. You need the Lord to change your mind on certain things. So this is where we get this amazing statement from John the Baptist. Now, let me give you the context of Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, John the Baptist is baptizing in the Jordan River, and here comes the tax collectors or the scourge of society and sinners confessing and repenting of their sin, all right? And here comes the Pharisees and the Sadducees who appeared to have repented and be living right before the Lord. And, John the ba and they're literally there not because of authenticity in their heart, but because of apathy or anger, or they didn't like what John the Baptist was doing. They were there for all the wrong reasons. So John the Baptist calls them a brood of vipers, that literally their heart was a snake den, a viper pit. And then he says this to them, bear fruit worthy of repentance. I love what the Passion Translation says, prove your repentance by the way that you live your life because your titles and what people think about you and your religious scholarly mindsets, let me look at the fruit of your life. And the truth is, is that when we repent of something, our life demonstrates it. So now 
There's no guile. There's no hiding. There's no pretending. I genuinely am not the man that I once was before, and you're not the woman that you once were before. So repentance has worthy fruit that comes with it. You'll never be worthy in your own way. You'll only be worthy because of what Christ produces inside of you. The fruit in my life is worthy. So based on my newfound moral compunction, which is based on God's word, his love, and his impact on my life, I'm now way more hesitant to do the things that I know I shouldn't and quick to repent if I do. You just got to learn to repent, change the way that you think about that, and come back to the Lord. Confess it and let God bring forgiveness and kindness and healing to your life. So now I no longer do the things that I once did and that I had no grid of conviction for. And it becomes obvious to everyone around us by our changed behavior. Now people look at your life and say, what is it about you? That's why the Bible says we should always be ready to give an answer to the hope that is within you. What is it about you that you don't live like everyone else? What is it about you that you don't wanna do the things that you once did anymore? And now they look at, their, at your life and they literally see the work that God has done inside of you, whether they like it or not, whether they persecute you or not, which they probably will persecute you but they see that your life is different and it doesn't matter because you've changed and you know what God has done for you. So now this moral compunction that I have is not based on fear, it's based on perfect love because God has done so much for me. He who's been forgiven much, loves much. Repentance and brokenness go hand in hand. We never stop being broken and in turn, God never stops accepting our sacrifices. So the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. A contrite heart is this understanding of what I know what I did wasn't right, and I'm sorry. I know I shouldn't have done that. And out of that brokenness and contrition inside my heart, I'm quick to run to the Lord and confess it and repent. But I'm also quick to confess it to other people if I've done them wrong. So when the tax collectors came and the sinners came to get baptized by John, it says that not only did they come for repentance, but they came confessing their sin. Let's look at that at Mark chapter one, verse four and five. Now remember, John the Baptist would prepare the way of Jesus. And he would say earlier on in the, in the scripture, make, prepare the way, make your path straight. And then we get this, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan. And what were they doing? They were confessing their sins. Repentance and confession prepares the way and leads to straight paths in your life and the lives of others. We repent and confess. So repentance is God changed my mind. Confession is the action. I confess it to other people or I confess it by stepping into the light in how I live. So confession is so important. I can't tell you how many times I've had to confess things to my wife or to other people that I know I did wrong or weren't right in my life. I want to define what a straight path is for you. A straight path is defined as, a, is defined as a level, sincere, upright, and true path. It also implies immediacy without delay. Immediacy without delay. So anytime you come to the Lord and he changes your mind and you repent to God, there's an immediate forgiveness that happens. The Bible says that God takes your sin and he remembers it no more as far as the east is from the west. He remembers it no more. It's immediate, and it immediately makes your path straight. But the problem is, is if I've done somebody wrong and I don't confess, I didn't make restitution with the other person. That's why James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Or another way to say it is that your path may be straight. So if I've done you wrong and I don't deal with what I've done wrong, I can come before the Lord all day long and confess it and repent, and he can forgive me. But if I don't come to that other person and confess it, I don't have the unity. And even Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. And so there has to be this confession dynamic 
between one another. And so what happens is, is that God makes your path straight. He makes your life level. He makes you sincere. He brings you into the light. He brings true koinonia relationship because now we're not hiding. That's why this church needs a baptism of honesty. And that's what confession and repentance bring is a baptism of honesty. And the more honest we can be with one another, the less hiding and pretentious we become with one another. And then God can do what God really wants to do in this house. So prepare the way of the Lord and make your path straight. Repentance and confession will make your path straight in your marriage, with your kids, and in your home. When you tell on yourself, the devil has nothing to say. When you tell on yourself, the devil has nothing to say. So when we, we repent properly, straight paths lie before you. This is in contrast to a crooked path. I lived crooked. I was a crook. I don't want to be a crook. I don't want to live crooked. I want a straight path. How about you? Jesus is, you know, first day of 2023. I love firsts. The only first that I don't like is record heat and record freezing. That's the only first I don't like. But I love it when I see records shattered in the Olympics. I love it when I see people do something beautiful and wonderful for the first time. I love watching my kids do things for the first time. My son's first soccer goal or soccer game or beautiful things of discovery that happens in his life. I love it when I see people flame onto the things of God for the first time. I love it when I see people pray in tongues for the first time. There's so many things I love for the first time, right? Do you think that Jesus's very first message is important? If Jesus were to show up, what would be his number one message? Well, the Bible tells us what his number one message is. And it's in Mark chapter one, verse 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is, and I want you to notice this because this is for us now. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance is always the appropriate first response when God shows up. I repent. I'm changing the way I think all the time because even the very essence of prayer is finding out what God thinks and how he feels about something. That's why in my quiet time or my prayer time with the Lord, it's a lot more solitude and listening and sitting than it is talking all the time. Or it's asking God questions and listening to his response. And every single time that God reveals his heart to me, there's something in me that repents. I change my mind about how good God is because he gets better every single day. In fact, I repent and confess the goodness of God and I weep openly because God's love is so great. It's so much better than I've ever realized. And every day I'm like, Lord, your love only gets better. So it's God revealing his heart to you. It's God coming close to you. It's God showing you that his perfect timing is now. Notice that it says in verse 15, God is at hand and repent in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance moves all obstacles of unbelief. Repent and believe. Change the way you think and believe the good news. No more doubt, no more disbelief. But Jesus didn't show up on the scene and he, said, he didn't say, repent because I'm so stinking ticked off at you. You better repent or hell awaits. Jesus didn't show up on the scene and say, man, I, we've had it. We were talking in heaven. We're like, this is not a good situation. We're gonna come down and we're gonna mess y'all up. What did he say? He said, repent and believe the good news because God always has good news. This is such a powerful scripture because the mindset is that now is the time, not tomorrow. But we often think when things get better tomorrow, I will be in a better place. And there may be some truth to that when the finances break loose, when a situation with your kids break loose. Some, but, the, but what I understand about repentance is that it makes a straight pace place now. It's immediate now. 
and I have to stop waiting for tomorrow. God wants me as I am right now. God wants to heal me right now. He wants me to confess to him right now. He wants me to come out of hiding right now. The time is fulfilled. Now the kingdom of God is at hand. The word at hand means this close to your face. He's this close. That's how close God is. He didn't show up on the scene. You stinking, foul-mouthed, smelly fisherman. All you ever want to do is fish. So all you ever want to do is fish and, and look at your life the way it is. Why don't you understand that God is here, the time is fulfilled, repent and believe the good news, and then shortly after that, he says, I'll make you fishers of men. I'll actually fulfill the call of God in your life if you'll repent and believe in what I have in store for you. So Jesus didn't show up on the scene with a harsh reality, but rather a beautiful reality of how much he loves you and how much he cares about you and what he wants to do in your life. Repentance is always the first appropriate response when God shows up. The time is now, he's here, repent and believe, for he's the exact, he has the exact answer of hope that you need right now. Second Chronicles 7, 14 and 15. Now, I know many of you may know this scripture, but I wanna go over it again. I wanna point out a couple things that maybe you haven't seen. Verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will first humble themselves, everything starts with humility versus pride. Everything starts with this understanding that I'm broken, I was broken, I am broken, and I will continue to be broken. But we struggle with that because God brings healing and he makes me to be everything he wants me to be. But I also am always dependent upon him because I realize my own depravity without him. And in turn, it keeps me fully dependent upon him all the time. I'm never not dependent upon him. And so we always, in humility, pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways because that's the response. If I humble myself and pray and seek his face, God speaks to me. And in turn, what happens? I turn from my wicked ways. And every one of us has a proneness to wickedness. Every one of us has a proneness to go our own way. That's why God says, stay humble, abide, 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 commune, 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 and repent consistently and constantly. And I'm gonna talk to you about what real repentance and how you really repent and what that looks like here in just a moment because some people can repent inaccurately. So if seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers that are made in this place. Look at the pattern of this scripture. Let's go back to verse 14. Humility first. Then communion, talking with God or seeking his face. When I get up in the morning, my natural tendency is to seek the face of my cell phone screen. But I know that the Bible says, in the morning when I rise, seek his face. I know in the morning when I rise, lift up my eyes to him. There's something about the first fruits of the morning and the day. So I've had to make a consistent conscious decision to not even look or check my phone, but to first talk to the Lord, spend time communing with him, <clears throat> saying good morning to him. <clears throat> Every day when I wake up, I say, good morning, Father. Morning, Jesus. And I teach my kids to do that every day. First thought, good morning, Lord. Thank you for this new day. Thank you, God, for what you're saying and doing. Who cares about Twitter? Who cares what Elon said? Who cares what happened with the news? At some point, you've got to get the ticker tape from the Lord instead of ticker tape from the media. You know, this is one area that God changed my mind. Let me give you an example of changing my mind to the way that he thinks. In the last several years, I've gotten way more involved in fighting against these pornographic books in our public schools. I've gotten more involved politically and in governments. I've gotten more involved in decisions, legislation that's being made that affect our families and our children. I've gotten way more involved in what's happening in our country and our nation because God spoke to me personally about my responsibility and my role or our role as a church in those things, that we can't be passive, right? And so... 
there were many, many times I found myself getting apathetic or getting angry. And I had to get God's heart on it. And had I not gotten God's heart on what he was saying and doing in the context of our nation, I would have found myself continuing to get more bitter and more apathetic. And so the Lord spoke to me. He's like, don't you know that I haven't fallen off the throne? Don't you know that I'm not caught off guard? Why do the nations rage? He took me to Psalm 2. He says, why do the nations rage and plot a vain thing? I'm actually laughing. And when I started to see how God really felt about it, I repented for taking this wrong, inaccurate, unhealthy approach towards it, and it brought so much peace and joy in my life. And in turn, the messages that started to come out of me were messages of hope and life, not doom and gloom and anger. And there's things that anger me, but I come at it from a place of confidence and joy and peace. And then God confirmed it with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. He said, see, don't you think that I can't do something so supernatural? All I have to do is speak the word and I can turn the hearts of men. The hearts of man is like rivers of water in my hands. And God starts showing me this. So I literally had to repent from the way I was thinking or it would have consumed me. And I would have found myself just so angry and distracted. Other areas God had to, that I had to deal with in repentance was, was allowing distraction to come in my life. I had to repent for despising the worthless bread of God or treating God's bread as worthless. You say, well, man, you're a pastor. I'm talking to the Lord all the time. I love reading my Bible. Yes, but there are other areas in my life that God said by me neglecting or negating or not giving myself to, I treat it as worthless because God wasn't giving me any out on it. Those are just some of the areas that God has begun to deal with me where I've had to change my mind, which changed my actions. And so in this scripture, it's so clear. First, you humble yourself, then you pray, then you seek his face, and then you turn. The appropriate response of changing your mind and seeking the face of God is turning from your wicked ways. You've got to turn. There has to be an appropriate action and response when you confess and repent of things with the Lord. And then what happens? I love this. It says, God hears, he forgives, he heals, he sees, and his ears are attentive. I would like to have attentive ears to my prayers. God has a way of changing your mind if you'll just sit and commune with him. Repentance is measuring according to God's standard. So I measure myself according to God's standard. Repentance is calling me higher to live in perfect love. The, the number one reason why I would repent and change who I think is because of God's perfect love. Here's why. I'm not loving perfectly. When I hide and pretend, when I manifest, when I get selfish, play victim, when I allow fear and worry and doubt and all those things to creep into my mind, I have an absence of perfect love inside my life. And I have had to repent many times for not, not trusting in God's perfect love or loving other people perfectly. Repentance allows correction to make you more like him. You know what the Bible says about correction in um, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1? He who doesn't receive correction is stupid. Did you know that? It's in the Bible. But he who loves knowledge, here, here's the scripture, it actually says stupid. I didn't make that up. We need correction. The problem is, is that many of us don't receive correction well. My kids struggle with receiving correction well. And I can't force repentance on them. I can only teach them the appropriate response when they do something that they shouldn't do. And I explain to them, I have to explain to their little minds to change your mind about what you're thinking. This is why that's not okay to do that. So they have understanding that goes with it. But so many times, my kids' repentance falls really short. I'm like, you should not have done that. You say you're sorry. Sorry. And then my natural tendency is to beat them into repentance. <laughs> now, I don't beat my kids. But I'm like, oh, you don't feel any sorry? You are going to feel sorry. Your whole life, you will be in prison in your room with no toys for the rest of your life. Ah! I beat them into repentance and now they feel sorry. But isn't it funny? That's how we do it with one another. 
So if God is quick and instant in your forgiveness, why can't we be quick and instant with somebody else? Especially in our marriage. You know how much I've said sorry? I secretly wish my wife would say sorry more. But she's not here, so she's, she was here. I'm like, I'm the one always saying sorry. You never say sorry. Can anybody relate? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hand. But who cares? If I was wrong, I was wrong. You see, repentance measures you to God's standard, and then it brings correction. So let's hear me say this. Say, I need a course correction. But where? Where do you need a course correction? I don't know. This is the thing about what's going to happen here in a moment, is I can give you a list. I don't want to put into your mind a list of things that I think. I want God to tell you where. So you can start thinking about that now because God has this loving way of bringing correction. And when God shows you his standard, then you say, Lord, I'm tired of living in less than. Repentance breaks the cycle of living in less than. And it also brings a clear conscience. Once you repent of it and you bring it to the light, and especially if you confess it, I have confessed more stuff to my wife and some to my friends. You got to have a good circle of friends. This is why we're having the man talk meeting on that Saturday morning because we need a safe place where men can be men and be open and honest and transparent with one another. You need friends that you can be open and honest and transparent because there's something beautiful about this confession. And if you've done something wrong against another, I suggest you confess it. If you are not married and you're sleeping together, stop and confess that you know it's wrong and bring it to the light because the devil has this way of working into those little details of bringing guilt and shame and rebelliousness and witchcraft into your life. I know it personally. And I don't want rebelliousness and witchcraft in anybody's life. So confession brings healing into your life. Just stop, get it right. Either separate, live in separate rooms, or let's get the date scheduled and get you through marriage counseling so that you guys can do the right thing before God if that's what God wants and stop living in compromise and living in sin. And I'll help you. I want that for you. I love you. But this confession thing says, look, I know this is not okay and I don't want it anymore. There was something with my close friends that I confessed. And afterwards, the devil comes along. He tries to say, man, you shouldn't have shared that. But you see, he's such a liar. He doesn't want you to be transparent and vulnerable. He doesn't want unity. He doesn't want living in the light. He wants darkness. And that's why this has to be a house of transparency. You, most of you don't know the things that I wrestle with and feel, but I'll confess this to you right now. So many times I feel like I'm a terrible pastor. Now, I don't need a pity party. I'm just telling you. I genuinely, I told my friends this, I often feel like I'm falling short as a pastor. And so I want to apologize. If I didn't call, if I didn't make a meeting, if I didn't show up, if I haven't been able to be there, I'm really sorry. It's not my heart. It's not, my, my, it's not what I want. But I don't know how to do it differently with three little kids and businesses, and I don't want to make excuses for it. And I also know I can't do it alone, which is why I need Pastor Jeff and Lacey and Jeremy and why, because I feel so many times like I'm gonna cave. And I'm so living on the edge of vulnerability and desperation that I feel like at any minute I'm gonna die. And you know what that does for me? It makes me so desperate and vulnerable and it forces me into communion with my friends. That's what you need in your life. If I need it, you need it. Find it. Find those people. Wherever they are, get close to them. And start first with the Lord. Start with him first. And let God do the rest. And if you feel like, man, I don't have those friends, maybe God rooted them all out of your life for a reason. Maybe you don't yet, but you will. And maybe you're actually angry about it and manifesting Repent of that too, because it's a trusting in, the, in God's timing for your life. 
You could literally sit alone with the Lord night after night when all your friends are out partying and God is orchestrating a network of people for you that you don't even know. Remember, Elijah thought he was all alone and he went into a pity party of depression and said, God, just kill me and take me home now. And the Lord was like, Psh. that wasn't in the Bible, but that's how I heard it. Psh. It was like, Psh. you think you're alone? I have 7,000 prophets that haven't even bowed their knees but I actually allowed you to feel alone so we could get this root of depression and fear and suicidal thoughts out of you. Repentance is so powerful. Repentance raises the bar in any area of your life that you're living in less than. Repentance raises the bar to fully live like Jesus. Repentance produces worthy fruit, fruit that lasts and overcomes. So if your strength fails in the day of adversity, how great is your strength, the Bible says. So be, but the strength is not in myself, the strength is in him. And then we always forget that when you're weak, he's strong. And I'm like, I don't like this weakness. I hate this weakness. I don't wanna feel this weakness and I don't see your strength in it. Anybody else? Anybody else ever feel that way? Lord, you said, <clears throat> and God says, now I got you right where I want you. Because <clears throat> now you're reasoning with me. Now I can change the way that you think. Don't you know I'll never leave you or forsake you? This is why you must get in the word because the Bible gives you the language of God's heart. God's word gives you understanding about himself. And then he gives you the language of what to say and pray. So when I come to him with my pity party victim mentality, he's like, I'm gonna change your mind. Did you forget that my word says I'll actually never leave you or forsake you? I'm like, God, when am I ever gonna get past this thing? Some of you are like, when am I ever going to get over fill in the blank? And then you cut yourself with weeks of sorrow and pity party. I know this because I'm telling it to you. Weeks of, Lord, I'm so sorry. Lord, I hate what I did and I'm, please forgive me. Sorry, 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 sorry. For weeks of feeling terrible and angry and mad and cut, 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 because that's what cutting is. Cutting yourself is taking the pain. Cutting yourself is masking the other pain with worse pain. Cutting yourself is self-infliction for something you did or you don't like or you hate. And it's an antichrist spirit because Jesus already took it on the cross. You don't have to cut yourself anymore. That's why confession, repentance and confession is, seals the deal and brings it to the light. The devil's got nothing. Now I have a clean conscience. Repentance brings a clean conscience. My wife says to me a long time ago, I don't feel like you love me. You love the church more than you love me. I manifested, I fought her, I yelled at her, I was so upset, and I got on a plane to go snowboarding in Breckenridge, Colorado, crying, mad at my wife. How could she tell me that before I'm leaving on vacation while I'm getting to go snowboarding as I'm manifesting that my wife would ever say that? And then I heard the Lord say, you know she's right. I said, Lord, I don't know. He goes, let me show you. And God began to show me how he thinks about how I treat my wife versus loving the church and why I love the church more than my wife because the church is a picture of myself that was orphaned as a child. And I want, really, it's, it's saving myself the way God saved me. And I wanna save you the way God saved me. God began to show me that I really don't even know how to love because my parents were jacked up. I didn't see the picture of normal and healthy in my own home. So guess what I had to do as soon as I landed? Get right on the phone. I'm so sorry. You're right. And then I confessed, I don't know how to love right. You, and so I'll just tell you all right now, I only know how to do what the Lord tells me to do with the experiences that I have. If I try to be like any other pastor or read the pastor manual of some other pastor that wrote a book, but I don't get the download from the Lord, I'm modifying my behavior to please you. And the truth is, is I got three massive fronts I don't know how, and so do you. So I have mercy and grace and compassion for you because I know we all, I don't ever try to put myself in your shoes. So we do the best that we know to do and we love well. And when we fall short, we say, look, I don't know how to love. Last week, somebody came up and said, I wanna apologize. I've been really mad at you for things that you've been teaching because I think you should be teaching something else. And it was authentic. I may sound silly to you, but it wasn't to this person. And I hugged and I forgave. The thing is, is we all have stuff inside of our hearts. 
And so what repentance does is repentance clears the air and clears the conscience. Now my conscience is clean because my conscience can neither accuse or excuse. Your conscience is either accusing or excusing you. So God says, get rid of all the excuses. Get rid of all the excuses. Repentance produces this worthy fruit that lasts and overcomes. God's word is the standard of what I need to repent for and how I need to repent. So God's word guides me in the understanding of repentance. For example, when you don't understand God's word, which reveals how he feels about you and loves you, you will repent inaccurately. Now, let me teach you this. You can repent inaccurately. It's based on fear or based on love. I did a whole teaching on the fear of God. The fear of God will cause you to repent properly. The proper fear of God causes you to repent properly. Now, stay with me. Okay, if I have an inaccurate view of God's heart and God's love and who he is, my repentance is fear-based. My prayers are fear-based. And God hasn't given me a spirit of fear. I'm a son. I'm not afraid of the wrath of God or hell or any of that anymore. Unbelievers have a different kind of fear. I'm gonna say to everybody here, if you have struggled with belief or you're an atheist or an unbeliever or anybody listening to my voice, what I want you to know is, God loves you so much. The time is now. Repent. The time is fulfilled. He's close. Believe the gospel of the good news. God loves you. He's for you. But a proper fear of God always brings me to a proper place of repentance because I love him and I don't want to live contrary to his son. I did a whole series, weeks on the fear of God. I suggest you all go back and listen to it. It's why you have to have a proper understanding of the fear of the Lord. Look at Psalm 51, verse 1. I love this psalm. Look at how David repented. David says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to what? His loving kindness and the multitude of his tender mercies. Lord, will you blot out my transgressions? So when I come to the Lord in confession, I'm coming understanding and repentance that he's full of loving kindness, that he's full of tender mercies, and that he has this ability to wipe it out. Many times they wipe it out, God. And then when the devil tries to come and say, yeah, but shut up, devil. God's already wiped it out by his blood. You can't accuse, you could try to accuse me. Because remember, the devil accuses day and night, the saints, day and night. There's always this accuser. Maybe your battle and what you're wrestling with really is spiritual. Maybe there really is a familiar spirit trying to follow you around and haunt you and keep you beat down and not believe the goodness of who God is. But then there's this other side, this religious spirit side, where the Pharisee and the tax collector go into the temple, and the tax collector's like, have mercy upon me, oh God, a sinner. And then here comes the Pharisees like, thank you, God, that I'm not like him. And I don't ever want to be like that, do you? Repentance always leads to rest and renewal. God comes close, we repent, and he clears my conscience and I find rest. I'm always full of anxiety and worry and depression and doubt and restlessness when I'm not living in the light. Did you all hear me? I don't want to live in darkness. How about you? It always brings rest. You have nothing to hide from. He already sees it all anyway. It's all laid bare open before him. So it's like you're hiding from the fact that he already knows and sees. The eyes of the Lord see everything, the good and the bad. So why not just bring it to the light? And bring it to the light because of how much he loves. Look at Luke 24, 45 through 47. Luke 24, 45. You need your eyes open when you read God's word. Do not just read the Bible like any other book. It's not just another novel. The word of God is alive. It's living. It's powerful. So anytime you go to read God's word, ask him, say, Holy Spirit, help me to see. Because look, even Jesus had to open the eyes of their understanding that they would comprehend the scriptures. I have friends in my life that say, I, I don't understand anything that I read. I used to be that guy. Anytime I read the Bible, it was like reading Chinese, but it was by design. 
because God has to open the scriptures to you so you can really understand what it is that you're reading and what he wants to say. So even, so Jesus appears to the disciples post-resurrection. They're all living in fear, hiding out, hiding out from the religious leaders of the day that thought they stole his body away. He shows up, he shows him himself. Thomas sticks his hand in his hand and his side. And then it says this, he opened their understanding so that they might comprehend the scriptures. Verse 46, then he said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So what happens is, is God opens the scriptures, gives you understanding. You need understanding so you can have an accurate comprehension of who God is in the good news. And in turn, you receive repentance and the remission of your sins, which is the forgiveness of your sins. And it's so good to know your past is forgiven. I'm telling you what, I'm so glad my past is forgiven. I'm so glad God forgave me yesterday and he forgives me today and he'll forgive me tomorrow. That's the beauty of forgiveness. He wipes out your past for the remission of sins. Many of you might understand remission in the context of sickness or cancer. You need a full remission of, of sin because sin is a sickness and a cancer. Repentance is changing the way you think to the way that he thinks. And I'm gonna leave you with this. Mark chapter two, verse 16 and 17. When the scribes and Pharisees saw Jesus or him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but I called to come sinner, call sinners to repentance. Now, this scripture's always kind of baffled me because who's the righteous and who's the sinner? Because it's easy for me to say, well, I'm the righteous. I don't need to repent. You're the wicked sinner. You need to repent. And then God wrote this down. I said, everyone needs to repent, not just sinners. Maybe we should just admit that we all wrestle with deceit and wickedness in our own hearts on a daily basis. Religious people don't like that. But all of us have a carnal nature. And as long as there's fallen wickedness in this world, we're always gonna need repentance in our life. There's never a time that you don't need to repent. But I really love this, that Jesus really highlighted the sinners and the tax collectors and the drunkards because what it does is it says that God's always coming to the worst of the worst. And I never wanna to come to the place where I'm like the best of the best. That's why Paul, even later in his life said, I'm, I am the chief of sinners. It's like, look, I don't do the things that I once did, but the enemy still comes and brings the desire. And every now and then I say or do something that I shouldn't do, or I could still have things in my life he's not pleased with. And what I don't ever want to do is come to this place where it's all been, I'm like, oh, it's all dealt with. But I'm also not going to live in this place where I'm always so jacked up that it's like, man, woe is me all the time. It's like, the faster that I can just admit it's the faster that I get free. Forgive them for they know not what they do. So are there things in your life that you don't know what you're doing that you need God's forgiveness to? Because if you don't know, you don't know. You only know what you know. So you need God to show you. <clears throat> because the worst thing is when you think that you're good and you're not. That's the biggest religious deception, right? Everyone needs to repent. And finally, Jesus demonstrated vicarious repentance. Did you know that? Did Jesus actually sin? No, but did he take your sin? Yes, on the cross, vicariously for other people. Vicarious means to do it for somebody else which led to vicarious atonement for others. We do the same in prayer on behalf of others, including our nation. Today we repent, tomorrow we repent, and as long as we're in a fallen world, repentance ne will never cease. I'm gonna give you some homework that I want you to go to. I want you to go read Daniel chapter nine. 
In Daniel chapter nine, Daniel gets this revelation of the prophetic word from Jeremiah the prophet that Israel will live in exile for 70 years in Babylon. You know what Daniel's response was? A full series repentance prayer from his heart, taking ownership of the sin of the nation, making it first person. If Daniel can do it, so can you and I. And you know what? I repent before God for the wickedness in this nation and also for the wickedness that I've given myself to. And if there's anything that you've done, anything that you've given yourself to, or maybe friends and family or your nation, we need repentance in this nation. This nation needs to repent. And guess where it starts? I can't just say Joe Biden, he needs to repent. It starts with you and me. And if we will get a baptism of honesty and transparency, a baptism of confession, a baptism of repentance, watch out with what the Lord will do. Repentance is the beginning of spiritual transformation renewal. So here's what we're gonna do now. We're gonna take some, a few minutes and we're gonna let the Lord speak to us about what we need to repent about. And I know this can seem awkward to you, but what better way to start the year? Now, if there's anything that you need to publicly confess or that you would like to publicly confess and repent of, I'm gonna give you that opportunity. I want you to just stand up and just say it out loud. Five to 10 seconds, not a whole long thing. Lord, I repent of. Just say it out loud. If God's, you don't have to do it, there's no pressure. You're safe here. You're safe. If you don't, you don't. But if God speaks to you today and you, need to, you want to publicly confess or repent, do it of anything. Last service, we had a bunch of people do it. And here's another thing is that once one person does it, other people will do it. And I'm not even gonna tell you what you need to repent for. I can give a whole list. I gave you a few examples already publicly. So we're gonna take a few minutes. Let's just close our eyes. We're gonna have any music, just do it. Be here in silence. We're gonna listen to the Lord. And if the Lord speaks to you about something you need to confess or repent of, I want you to just publicly, out loud, say it. Anything, whatever it is, we're creating an atmosphere of transparency and confession in this church today.
Lord, we repent collectively and together as a family. You know our hearts, God. You know our hearts, Lord. Please, Lord, never stop revealing to us your heart. Never stop making us more like you. 
Have mercy, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy, God, on us, please, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on our nation. Have mercy on our city. Have mercy on our lost friends and family. Have mercy, God, according to your loving kindness and your tender mercies. Blot out our transgressions, Lord. Forgive us for being idiots where we've been selfish. Forgive us, God, for self-preserving and protecting ourselves. Forgive us for hiding. Forgive us for not trusting and believing who you really are. Forgive us for not loving. Forgive me, God, for not loving the way that I know I can. Please, Lord. We're going to stay in this atmosphere a little longer. Um, if you need to go, you're welcome to go. You're going to have to get your kids. But I don't want to move out of this yet, so you're welcome to still continue to confess things or kneel at the front, whatever you want to do.